Hello strangers and welcome to episode 36 of Strangers in a Cinema, your regular dose of unfiltered film chat with myself Paul Anderson and my co-host Pete Wall. I like Pete! That, I like that's a thing now man, you've, you've taken that. I have taken that, I've gonna, embraced that I we're think. We're going to repeat yeah. that a number of times and it'll become a thing and it'll become you know well known around the internet users that we have that run into the dozens. I feel that if I say that it allows us to swear on the podcast so that's kind of where I've Fuck yeah, let's get into this show. (laughs) So, uh, hello everyone. Yeah, I'm Pete, he's Paul. We're here with uh, our show, which is going to take you on a trip through the cinema, as it always does. Starting off with the entrance to that there multiplex, going to the popcorn counter and talking about some films that we've seen recently. We'll get to that in just a moment. After that, we'll get into coming attractions, where Paul and I will both reveal one film that we're looking forward to in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, maybe longer than that it's getting a bit looser these days uh, the uh, the remit of that part of the show I keep stretching it and stretching it but we, certainly it will be uh, it will be within the year I think <laughs> the film is out there'll be a trailer that exists for it there we go you're, known, be a for stre- that you're known for stretching it Paul <laughs> and uh, then we're uh, we're going to get on to our feature section of the show the kind of meat of the show where or corn of the show where we talk about one or two films that uh, well, uh, usually new releases at the cinema. But we're mixing we're mixing up a little bit this week because we think actually, although there's been obviously there's been some major releases at the cinema this week, um, and we will feature one of them. Uh, we're mixing up a little this bit, we little bit this week because we've both seen um, the Greasy Strangler and just found it probably more interesting to talk about than bit, some of the other big it's releases. A bit more to, um, to so, talk about yeah. there, yeah. I mean, the thing is, Paul, you said uh, it's been you know some some major releases at the cinema. It's kind of, if we're honest, it's been a bit of a week, week for cinematic releases I think at least where we've caught up with everything but a couple of films we've left out one or two and maybe we'll catch up with them later but as far as recent times have gone a little bit of a lower week in terms of what's come out so that's why we've got the chance to put in a cult film which is great because we've talked about this before oftentimes we would like to have a feature that is maybe not the latest cinema release but is worthy of conversation and the kind of film that listeners to this show will have an opinion on I would say and I think yeah. we've chosen a good one to start yeah. that off anyway with the Greasy Strangler today after that we of course get to the final section of the show which is credits where again Paul and I will give our takes oh, we've got Life as another feature as well oh yeah, of course we have yeah, yeah sorry yeah. yeah cinema releases as we mentioned yeah Life is, is sort of the biggest one I guess this week so we're going to get onto that as well and then the credits section uh, following that where we talk about something that deserves credit from the world of film that's enough from me Paul let's get right into popcorn movies for this week what have you been watching in the last seven days? Well, against what I thought would be my better judgment, I went to see Beauty and the Beast. Uh, this is Bill Condon's live action, uh, live actionification. I think mm. uh, is a word I've seen mooted about in other film, in other film uh, outlets, shall we say? So I'm not taking credit for that term myself. Um, and I didn't expect to like it at all, to be perfectly honest, because as I think when we talked about uh, La La Land, I think I said I'm not really a huge fan of musicals and that kind of thing. Um, so yes, I went in with, with trepidation, so we say, to see Beauty and the Beast. Um, and this is going to be a very weird review here, because I'm going to say I thought the film was fantastic. It was fantastically shot. It was fantastically put together. It sounded amazing, especially in IMAX. Take notes, Cine World. Put all your music in IMAX, please, because they sound amazing. The production design was lavish. I thought Emma Watson's performance was great. I thought all of the performances were great. I, I really did. I thought everyone in it, uh, Ewan McGregor's French accent, French accent, not so much. But still, 
I thought it was a really well put together and very entertaining film. So where, there's a but coming, I think. It's completely redundant. Right. And it's com- why so? It's completely redundant because it's so much like the animated original, there's no point in making it. At least with Jungle Book, which I didn't expect to like, for exactly the same reasons they tried to do something a little bit different. I just don't see the point of it. Yeah. Do you think that there's any argument to be made for this sort of serving a new audience, like a younger audience who maybe haven't caught up with the animated film? Or do you think those films are just so timeless? Just re-release the animated film. It's irrelevant. Just, just yeah. re-release the animated film. And I, like, of, of, it's, 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 it's easy to go, well, it's obviously just made for money. Everything is ultimately made with some kind of financial return in mind. Not everything, but well, the majority, one of our majority of today, things, maybe, yeah. maybe not so much. Well, that's but, true, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, well, K- Kenneth Branagh, what, two or three years ago, remade in live action Cinderella, right? And that did relatively well at the mm. box office. Um, did you see that? I haven't seen Cinderella. That? The only one of the only recent one, in, obviously, the one in recent memory is Jungle Book, which again, which, yeah. hit, my, which hit my top 10 in fairness, but I think it, it did enough different to warrant it existing. This just played it so close. It was a little bit longer. Added an, an original song, I think, which didn't need to be there. But just, I don't understand why. I just sat there thinking, great. Why isn't this energy and money been put into something original? Yeah, I mean, my takeaway from this would be: can we just please not have a live action uh, The Lion King? Because we we don't need that. Well, it's we happening. But um, is it happening? Is that it a real is thing? happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good it, God. It, it is a real thing. But this is the thing. It, it's a funny one for me because it's such a well put together film. I wanted to I wanted to come on today and go I was proved wrong I loved every second of this and to an extent I did love most of it and I, mm. I really did um, but it's it, but I was still came out questioning why this film exists but anyway you're up next what was your what was your first popcorn movie okay well there's a, t- a tenuous link in the in the sense that um, that there's some cinematic magic in the world of Disney and I'm going to review a film called Magic Magic. Does that count as a link? No. Kind, kind of. Um, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll give you that a tenuous. So uh, Magic Magic is one I caught up with, yeah, just, uh, I don't know, 24 hours, no, less, 12 hours ago. Uh, this one is uh, the product of one Sebastian Silver, who I discover is, uh, I, I, having talked to, to Paul after I saw this film, I said... This had a lot of the feel of um, the film... Uh, oh, I've completely blanked on the title now. Uh, the Magic Cactus or some shit like that. Fairy. Diamond Fairy. The Magic Cactus and the... And the Diamond Fairy? That's not a thing. <laughs> Hold on. Let's, let's, get some, uh, let's get some facts out there into the world of... Uh... Uh, okay, okay. Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus, which was a film that I saw a few years ago set in South America where Michael Sarah goes off and does a load of ayahuasca and goes a bit loopy. And it seemed a little bit like that. And it turns out the same director, Sebastian Silver, is responsible for both. They were both made in the same year or at least both released in the same year, whether there was a bit of a, a break there. Um, this stars, yeah, Michael Sarah, as I mentioned, Juno Temple and Emily Browning, as well as uh, Catalina Sandino Moreno, who some people might know, or I knew anyway, from um, Maria Full of Grace, which is a drug smuggling film. That's so is, that, is that the film about the drugs mules? Yeah, drug yeah. muling, and really I keep worth, meaning to watch it. But worth I'm your time, it, yeah. and, and I would say a superior film to Magic Magic. But yeah, to sum this one up, it, it essentially revolves around Juno Temple's character going on holiday with her friend, played by Emily Browning, to Chile where they are going to spend some time together and kind of in an exotic environment and and have a bit of a different experience. But as soon as they head off on this trip, Emily Browning's called away. She needs to go apparently to take an exam. 
And so Juno Temple, not knowing the other members of their little traveling group, is all on her own and very quickly sort of starts to unravel um, in terms of her psyche, her psychology. She she sees a few things that are unsettling, that are upsetting for her. She's in an unfamiliar environment. She's around unfamiliar people. And she heads on a bit of a downward spiral of, yeah, like a personal unravelling. Uh, it's, I think, a pretty effective film. And I think that one of the main reasons for that is that Juno Temple is a very game actress in almost everything that she's involved in, from from this to um, the Gregoraki film Kaboom. To, oh, Kaboom was awesome. Yeah. She, she, carried, she had the right energy for a Gregoraki film, I think. I think a- absolutely, yeah. yeah to, to things... Um, that she's been in like um, Afternoon Delight, I think I talked about on the podcast not that long ago, where she plays a, a stripper and it is a very interesting kind of smaller in- indie film as well. All kinds of stuff that she's done that I think is is worth your time. So yeah, if you're a fan of Juno Temple, um, I would recommend it. Emily Browning maybe has less to do in this film. Michael Serra is unsettling in the extreme in the way that I think he's an actor that we've seen in so many sort of cutesy comedic mm. roles that you forget that the mannerisms and let's be honest physical appearance that he has is very quickly very creepy I and imagine it would be yeah I've not seen him in those roles but I, I don't I haven't even I haven't pictured him in those roles but I can see yeah, he would work as the, the director seems well aware of that in this and um, yeah I think in the end the, the film doesn't necessarily go anywhere too interesting but you'll enjoy the unusual and slightly unsettling journey, I think, with Magic Magic. So that's it from 2013, uh, Magic Magic. What else have you got, Paul? So that brings me to uh, Morgan, uh, which is directed by Tony Scott's son, I think is Luke Scott, in fact. Right. Um, now, Morgan, the, the premise of Morgan, this, this kind of slipped me by when it came out, the premise of Morgan, similar, um, as someone did say to me the other day, uh, premise possibly to a little bit like Ex Machina, um, you've got the kind of uh, Anna Taylor Joy, who's going to be massively famous. She is again mm. fantastic in this. Uh, just uh, she was from in the, the get go, right? yeah, she was in the witch and she was in Split as well. Um, she's going to be a very big star. She's she's very good in this. So she plays this kind of um, experimental clone stroke project, grown very quickly from birth as kind of a superhuman that you would kind of assume to be a weapon. Um, and it's kind of about how they treat her and how she's dealing with things. And there's an act, she stabs a, a friend or mother like figure in the eye, and then the corporate get involved. Kate Mara turns up, Paul Giamatti turns up, uh, Brian Cox is in this, uh, Boyd Holbrook, uh, Toby Jones. Boyd Holbrook, so awesome as a villain in uh, Logan. Uh, Toby Jones is in this. There's so many good people in this. And I was like, why haven't I seen this earlier? And the first half of this film is, to be frank, absolutely superb mm-hmm. it's so tense so many interesting conversations with Morgan the subject of the experiment and obviously the, the well, the subject in question it's very very well acted there's a great atmosphere to it you're like okay well at some point obviously Morgan's going to flip and, and shit's going to go down um, and you think okay but if they keep this if they keep this restrained this could be something really 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 good uh, and then it just gets silly about about it's only an hour and a half which is a great length for a film of this nature don't get me wrong mm. but around the 50 minute mark it just gets silly action kicks off it's fighting starts and it just completely loses its way completely loses its way and it's such a shame because mm. the first half is so tight and so well directed I, I genuinely mean that when I 
when I was watching it, I was like, how have I missed this? Why have I missed I this? I remember this the trailer's awesome. looking really yeah. cool for this thing. And, but but it, just, it. it just descends into just silly, just absolute silliness. Just yeah. a- action that has no context. The way the, f- the first half of the film is structured, the action that comes afterwards doesn't make sense. Right. And it's just so heavy-handed and just like, oh, now everyone's fighting. And like, no. And it's such a shame. Does that undo the good so work good. of the first half, though, do you think? Some of it, not all of it. I, I still didn't. I still didn't. I still came away giving it credit for its first half, but it's a shame because mm. what you've got, what you get, is an okay film. What you could have had was a great film. Perfect, perfect segue. And thank you, Paul. <laughs> what what you get is an okay film. What you have, what you could have had as a great film, is something that we probably would have said about Kong Skull Island that we reviewed just a sh- <laughs> couple of short episodes. That's the third ago. episode in a row we've given it a kick in now. Yeah, right? well, it's getting another one now, uh, Paul. Because I, well, I say I caught up with. I watched for the second time, but it's been many years. Uh, I caught up with the 1976 uh, King Kong. Ah, the film that was the worst King Kong film. Right, yeah, yeah. It had its <laughs> last place stolen from its, yes. from its grass. By, uh, yeah, this this one is directed by John Gillamin, um, or Gillamin, let's go with either of those. Um, who, I like how you said his surname the same way twice then, so um, yes, yes. so we know, yeah. <laughs> G- Gallimard? Gillamin? Yeah, uh, he is uh, the director, I believe, of The Towering Inferno, but this one yes. made in, in 1976 um, stars... A guy uh, in Jeff Bridges who looks somewhere between like Justin Lee Collins and the best looking man alive. It's very weird to see a young Jeff Bridges, isn't it? Yeah. You see, like 26 when they made this, I think. Although they did do it. There was a young Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy. No, no way. That was a terrible CGI effect. Sorry. That, right. That, I don't know why that's back in my head. So, anyway, yeah, Pete, continue. Sorry. We, we know from our review of, of Skull Island to an extent and from um, the 33 film and, of course, the Peter Jackson 2005 film, The Story of King Kong. Here, um, it's funny watching this, Paul, in the light of watching Skull Island because you are reminded of things like the cloud that the group travel through in Skull Island is the same idea that they used in the 1976 film, but they travel through on boats rather than in helicopters. Okay, because I think when we were talking about, when we talked about when we came out of Skull Island, um, I hadn't seen the 76 film for a very long time, so it's interesting that they've taken elements from the 76 one. Yeah, well, I think... um, it was he called Jordan Vogt Roberts, yeah. the, the guy who directed the new one. He has a lot of time, I think, for the same. No, the guy film. that was told how to direct the Skull Island. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of time for for this film. It seemed like in in interviews, and that kind of is borne out in some of the things that you see lifted almost verbatim from this film into the new film. But I should mention, yeah, Jessica Lang is in this. Um, do, do you remember from this version of King Kong that Jessica Lang's character is essentially on like a hedonistic party cruise yes. and then gets knocked <laughs> yeah. overboard and then comes aboard the oil liner that they're taking aboard or taking onto Skull Island because she yeah is plucked out of the ocean by the Jeff Bridges character. So and then a lot of this film plays a lot more sexual than I remembered the first time. Even the way you've got the the. Kong character touching Jessica Lang is kind of mm. un- almost uncomfortable at times. Not for her, by the looks of her reactions. Uh, <laughs> no one has ever looked like more enraptured and and like pre-orgasmic about being blow dried than Jessica Lang when that happens <laughs> to her in this film. Like it's a weird sequence. But you know, Paul, when I was talking to you about this earlier on, I said I think. This has still got to rank, yes, below the 33 King Kong. 
I would say also below the 2005 King Kong, but above the new version of King Kong that we've had so recently. So it was nice to see it again. It was nice to see it in a new light. There are things to like about it. I'd forgotten that Kong derails a train, for example. I'd forgotten I'd, Kong, I'd forgotten Kong derails a train. That's cool. That Kong cool. also goes up the Twin Towers. In yes. This, right, rather yeah. than the Empire State Building. So obviously which, they were taller. So, yeah, it's it, a, a weird thing again, because obviously it was pre-9-11 when I would have watched yeah. this one for the first time. So going back to that, it's interesting. It actually jumps between the Twin Towers, mm. which is a, a touch I'd forgotten about as it's well. Still, it's still, just, just, just to touch on that briefly, it's still odd to see the Twin Towers on film, isn't it? I think, yeah. you know, obviously going through what, what's happened. It was but, like Man on Wire played on that so well, yeah, right? Yeah, For example. But, but then I can't, do a, any kind of little review of, of 76 King Kong without saying that the, the monkey in it is kind of dreadful. The facial monkey, animation the of that monkey is awful. Is the 33 bad. Kong looks better than the 76 do, Kong. Do you I'm, know that in, in 1976 they spent $1.7 million on making a, uh, I think, 40 foot uh, remote control or robotic version of King Kong, but it didn't really work? Like they couldn't reuse it, so it was used in two or three quick shots in the film, and the rest of it is like a guy in a in a monkey suit, which is very apparent by the way he moves around. So yeah, between that and when Peter Jackson got hold of the material, a lot had improved in the ter in terms of like mocap and stuff. But anyway, yeah, if you haven't seen it before and you're in any way interested in Kong, I would give it a give it a watch. Worth a watch, as Paul might say. <laughs> I haven't said that for a while, actually. No, I, I'm co-opting it. I haven't. But what, so that brings us to coming attractions, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does. Rather than talking about things that I always say. <laughs> um, yeah, so coming attractions. I'm going to go straight out the gate with coming attractions, and I'm going to throw out there the trailer that I actually just happened across the first time in the cinema, which is actually really nice to see a trailer in the cinema for the first time. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that. that. But I quite enjoyed that. Rather than having seen it online, I saw it in the cinema in front of a film, so that was kind of cool. Um... It's a trailer for a film called The Belco Experiment, um, and the concept of this film, um, it seems that sort of very lowbrow kind of horror, um, I think you described it as possibly Battle Royale in, in a, corporate a corporate environment, environment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which pretty fair. much is the film in fairness, so you seem to have a number of people working in an office block, uh, they're implanted with some kind of chip, and then they're basically told that a certain amount of you need to die or we're going to kill double that number. And it seems that the people were set against each other. Now, that in itself would probably make me watch it and seem might, might be quite fun. I think the trailer felt a little bit reminiscent of a film called Series 7. Yeah. The Contenders. Yeah, that's um, fair. Which I haven't seen for ages. It felt a little bit reminiscent of that, which is kind of cool. So I probably would have gone to see it anyway. However, mm. this is written by James Gunn. That's right. James Gunn of Guardians fame and James yeah. Gunn of Super and James Gunn of... Sl oh, I've forgotten the name of the other film now. Slither. Slither, yeah. It is Slither, yeah, yeah, it is yeah. Slither, yeah. And so written by James Gunn and directed by Greg McLean yeah. from Wolf Creek and Wolf Creek 2 fame. Now, I love the pair of them. I love Wolf Creek. I really like Wolf Creek 2, despite a lot of reviews to the contrary. So if you put these two together in a low-budget kind of uh, low budget kind of exploitation horror thing, uh, John C. McGinley's in there, mm. um, who is awesome. And it um, had, and it had in the trailer. It also had the the the, the building that they're in, the office building they're in, had that feel of like um, peach trees in the uh, yeah in dread yeah. in dread yeah. right where it all gets like locked down and it's all like metal um, 
barriers over the windows and stuff yeah. like that yeah and, and this kind of really closed in intense so, environment yeah so. and also there's an actor in there who I've forgotten his name so apologies apologies Andrew Lincoln but not Andrew Lincoln uh, there's an actor working who I think was in the last I was on the left remake as well who mm. looks a lot like Andrew Lincoln so um, I'm aware that's gone, I've gone off a completely random track but check out the trailer for The Belco Experiment written by James Gunn directed by Greg McLean has me excited check it out Pete over to you um, so I've gone for this time I, I, I said I was cheating last time I'm kind of cheating this time because this has just come out of the cinema but for me I haven't seen so it so if my films are too far away yours are already out too close yeah there seems to be you know there seems to be but a I mean, balance here it is a coming attraction I would say if if we haven't seen it there's a good chance that a lot of the audience do you know what actually do you know fine because this is a point where I'm just going to jump in here, Pete. Because yeah, I'm fuming with Cineworld at the moment, absolutely fuming. So, do you know what they are coming? There probably is a coming attraction because Cineworld won't fucking show it. So, what have we got? Personal shoppers up there that we can't see at Cineworld. They're yeah, not. They're raw. already. They're already saying they're not going to be showing Raw. Well, there's another one on the list. As yeah, well. there's another big one. I mean, there's been a number recently, and and it is a frustration because it's, it's summer and they put Beauty and the Beast in 47 screens and of it's, a four screen. You know, for, for for the sake of balance, uh, it's not only that chain; it ha happens all over the place. But the frustration is that you know, obviously, we, we talked about this where we had that screening of Tony Erdman in line with the Oscar nomination, which wasn't a winning campaign. Let's not forget by the the German um, filmmakers of, of Tony Erdman, but we got one screening on one night. Fair enough. Give us one screening on one night, but at least give us one screening, right? That that's all we're asking yeah. for, I think, at multi And it's just because it's summer and I understand it's a business, but they just dump the blockbusters on like three of three of ten screens mm. and then they'll have two blockbusters running in six screens. And then when you tweet them about it, which I have done, um, then they go, Oh, it's a limited release. Well fine it's a limited release, but then share the print the equivalent of the digital copies of the prints that you've got. Then just put it on a week later. Mm. But show it. Don't sit there and say you've got an unlimited card. I'm stealing your thing here, Pete. I apologise. It's unlimited, but limited by the films that they choose to show. Not yeah, cool. Anyway, absolutely. Rant over, Pete. Sorry, your coming attraction. Well, this brings us. Yeah. So this one, I think we are getting a release here, and maybe it's it's just come out this last week on the 24th. I think was the official release date. It's called The Lost City of, of Z. I want to say Z. It is on. It is on at the moment. Thank because you. I think in the United States it might be Z. But yeah, Lost City of Z. It stars Charlie Hunnam, uh, Robert Pattinson, and Sienna Miller and is directed by James Gray. Um, I'm interested in this film mainly because I like Robert Pattinson quite a bit, particularly from stuff like Cosmopolis, where he showed that he can uh, act. He can act, and he's got <laughs> some range, and he's interested in taking interesting projects, because Robert Pattinson could have dined out on the Twilight series for the rest of his career. He could have taken big budget, action, leading man, romantic mm. kind of drama or whatever he wants to do. But actually, he's made some interesting choices and you've got to commend that, really. The Char Rover, man. The Rover is very cool. In the right. Rover. Charlie Hunnam is, a, again, a, an actor that we know from originally British television and now um, as an established you know, big he's actor. awesome in Sons of Anarchy. Awesome in Sons of Anarchy. And Sons of Anarchy overrated, but we'll disagree on that. <laughs> one. Um, yes, and then James Gray, the director here. Films that actually I need to catch up with. Uh, we own the night. Two lovers. The immigrant. We own the night's really good. That I've heard good things about, yeah. but yeah, I haven't haven't caught up with it yet. But yeah, Lost City of, of Zed uh, looks like an interesting exploration of the story of a man going to find this mythical lost city and coming up against quite a bit of resistance from the um, inhabitants of the area, let's say. And obviously this is going to have some resonance in a world in which uh, governments are going all over the world, you know, 
trouncing other people's cultures in order to benefit themselves. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this um, quite a bit and I don't have to look forward to it for very long. It's on at the moment. It's on at the minute. I imagine so I probably like while we're speaking these words, it's probably showing us anyway. Yeah, I'll have seen it by next so, week and maybe we'll feature it if it's worth the time and then you can hear our thoughts. Yes. And... Um, and yeah, so um, that's going to bring us on to features. Well, that's why I was excited. That's why I was so excited to interrupt you because you, you gave me credit for a segue earlier and you used the word feature and I thought feature reviews. Yes. Yes, indeed, Pete. Yes, indeed. So the first feature review of this week is Daniel Espinosa's Life. Um, so set the scene for us, Pete. Well, firstly, set the scene with the fact that Anton Corbin's probably a little bit annoyed that he made a film like two years ago called Life. But and also, wasn't there that BBC series about the natural like wildlife and stuff called Life? But yes. Let's, yeah. let's brush over that for a second and get to the fact that yeah, life is is neither of those things. It's a Daniel Espinosa film. Um, Daniel Espinosa, Paul, is a director that I think you know more about than I do. Yeah, and I hadn't really clocked that he'd made this, to be honest. Um, because This it's... is the guy then who made Child 44, haven't seen it, heard it's terrible. Yeah. Um, what were the other ones you were talking about? Safe House, have seen it, is terrible. Right. Easy um, Money, though. You easy that. Money, the Easy Money series of films. Uh, they kind of introduced the world to Joel Kinnaman and right. are awesome crime Because this is Joel Kinnaman, who I came to know later through the American remake of The yeah. Killing, right? Yeah, or the... Schnabakash, or Schnabakash, I think I is think the... I think Schnabakash was yeah. the one I found as the alternative title. Swedish, I want to say mm. Swedish films, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on the listeners, please do. But yeah, that series of films, or Easy Money as the, as the English translation is, were awesome, especially the first one. It's a great, great crime thriller. So um, it just frustrates me to see, um, again, to see uh, a, a talented European or talented director of any nationality go to Hollywood and become part of the, the studio system. But unless, set the scene, life unless life is good. is great. Um, Maybe life is sweet. Right <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, to, to set this one up, life is, um, how can we make this as simple as possible? So we've got a crew of astronauts working on behalf of NASA. They're on the International Space Station. They have sent a, um, a ship, an unmanned ship, out to Mars to... T to um, retrieve some soil samples earth samples and hopefully some sign of life existing on on mars that team is led by or features rebecca ferguson jake gyllenhaal ryan reynolds um then we've got the japanese actor Hir hiroyuki sanada and uh then arion captain Bakare, canada from sunshine <laughs> yes yes Exactly, and we've got a Russian actress who has a surname that I'm not even going to try and pronounce, Olga, let's say. Um, yeah, and this uh, team of people, very, like, first thing that struck me, very unusually good-looking group of NASA space operatives. Completely, completely miscast. But, but yes, it, they're basically, um, the, the scientist amongst them, this is the uh, Arion Bakare character, is going to do some tests on the samples that they have got back from Mars and see if, in fact, there is any living organism, cell, microcell, single cell organism. I reckon there might be. There, there might well be, <laughs> considering the title of, of this film and what we've come to expect from this kind of thing. And what we get from this point on is a sort of um, survival horror thriller type movie where life that grows turns out to be more threatening than friendly. Are you saying that we get alien? We kind we of trying, get trying to alien to? meets gravity, but neither as good as the first or the second of those films. But I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. 
First of all, Paul, let's talk about the casting in this film because we've got Jake Gyllenhaal, who is an actor, I think, of some repute. He's a very good-looking yep. man, but let's not, you know, he's more than just a piece of meat. He's a, he's a good actor. <laughs> the same could be said of Ryan Reynolds. But where do you stand on those two two actors to begin with? I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal more than I like Ryan Reynolds. Um, I enjoyed Deadpool, but I think that's Ryan Reynolds. The voice is strings. quite good. Um, he's, he's done a couple of good yeah, things. Yeah, um, and Sevens, is it? I can't remember what that was. Anyway, there was another The Nines. The Nines, not the Sevens. Yeah. The Nines, which I quite enjoyed. And I, I don't mind him. Um, but in terms of are, are they miscast in these roles, which is, I think, what... Well, potentially you were saying potentially they're... they're I've just used the potentially many times. Sorry, listeners. Well, it's because um, of the potential of that one single yes, cell amoeba or whatever. Exactly. Maybe. Exactly. They're, they're... So um, I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal was miscast uh, because I think his performance was was okay. It felt like a bit like he was phoning it in in places, but it's it's okay to have kind of one ridiculously beautiful man in a film, but two um, is a bit silly. And also, Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds did not suit the tone of this film whatsoever. Um, I can't see a character that's supposed to be of his scientific repute and more on that later um, would actually be that much of a wisecracking dickhead uh, yeah it's kind of like I know it's an easy comparison but it's like you know the the first incarnation or the first Chris Evans incarnation of Captain America where he's just kind of a bell end to everyone and everyone just kind of accepts it because I think what they were trying for with his casting is Chris Evans, weirdly enough, Chris Evans in Sunshine, where mm. they go, okay, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a, a lad, a bit, a bit like that. Well, I dare but... say Chris Evans would have been a bit better in the role, to be fair, because at this point, yeah. Chris Evans, I think, has developed into to quite an actor in, in I think, yeah, I think number the, of things. The Sunshine comparisons don't really stop there. I think, I think with the crew, they were trying to, trying to replicate that. What's that worked so bit, well yeah. in Sunshine, obviously, it doesn't help. We've got the same actor from Sunshine in there. You're trying to move that a little bit, but no, I thought Ryan Reynolds was massively miscast in his Yeah, role. and then Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, I was hoping, I had sort of high hopes, not so much on the director, but more on the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, does interesting work by and large. I mean, recently we've had things like Demolition, which weren't so great, but then for every Demolition, there's, um, you know, uh, something like Enemy, which is really interesting. So I was hoping for more, and, and what I feel like I got is a role taken on by Jake Gyllenhaal where it may as well have been any number of other actors is all I can really say about that Rebecca Ferguson I think is fine uh, she's been fine in other things as well um, the other characters in, in that crew I think are a little bit disposable and we don't necessarily get a great deal of character establishment before all hell breaks loose on the ship but then that takes us to that right this is a film that is built on atmosphere and tension and uh, sort of fairly high stakes action did the action sequences work for you and did this work as a as a serviceable space thriller i suppose just about serviceable i think um i think i've I've said this to you before and i've probably said this on the on the show before um what annoys me more times than not over bad films is mediocre films Mm. and everyone involved in this must have known this was a mediocre film i'm sorry there's, there's no doubt in my mind if you're going to ape Alien that closely, then be better than this. Yeah. Like it was just like some of the the set pieces were okay, the special effects were okay, the ending was okay. Everything about you was just like, oh. I kind of I kind of like, feel man. like the the ending um, was actually less than okay. I I felt like wasn't it the kind of ending? And I'm not going to spoil what happened, but it was the kind of ending that is supposed to be a sort of twisty gotcha type ending that 
that didn't really pay off as such because it was pretty easy and and transparent what was actually going to happen at the end. Yeah, of the I would say I'd say it was fairly. Yeah, it was probably not deliberately well signposted. I mean, but we, quite well signposted. But Paul, would you agree? Like, we have some cool stuff in here. Like the, the way, as you were saying, you know, okay doesn't mean terrible, obviously. But, no. But things like the way in which the uh, alien creature. <laughs> You can't even avoid the alien comparisons when you're talking about the creature, but the alien creature goes about taking out, you know, disposing of some of these crew members, and we won't say which ones. It was kind of inventive to a point. It was kind of effective visually and to a point. The set piece with the engine vents was, again, like, yeah. kind of cool. But then, as soon as I said that, I remember coming out of the cinema going, that was kind of cool. And then I just went, oh, oh, wait, so they're in the vents. They're in the vents. Okay, pretty obvious comparison to aliens there. And I was like, okay, they're watching where they are on the screen. It just reminded me of the... Uh, of the um the the station the, the stationary gun scene from Aliens and mm. it's just like oh all of this has been done before like why bother right and why bother and, and then that brings me because I mentioned Gravity before and I, I hold that film quite close to my heart for various reasons that I've talked about at length before and I won't do again but when we get the astronauts moving around the ISS on this thing the camera movements are perfectly good if you've never seen Gravity you'd probably be really impressed. If you go back and watch Gravity, you'll realise that Alfonso Caron has a better handle on that yeah. stuff in terms of camera placement and movement and the technology at his disposal. So this can only come off looking like an inferior sort of... Yeah, copy just inferior to everything that it, it aped, unfortunately. But and then, just, just mediocrity. It's the very definition of mediocrity. But then, you see... I agree with you, Paul. I, I don't disagree with basically your entire take on this film, but then I don't come out of it that mad at it because I think of the fact that I love stuff that's set in space. I like things that deal with space exploration in general. I have time for a couple of the actors, even if they don't do anything like their best work here. And for example, today, and I'm not going to review it here, but I watched the, another space movie called Lockout with Guy Pearce. Compared... Just Compared with that, this is a lot more engaging and a lot more sort of exciting and at least a kind of popcorn munching, decent time at the cinema. I kind right? of felt like Lockout, although it's as terrible as it was, I kind of felt like Lockout was at least, for me at least, was maybe a little bit more heart than life. I just, I think I'm just, I've just had enough of Hollywood taking talented directors and fucking ruining them. I've had enough of it and that seems to but, be just all that happens but isn't moment. that dynamic that's got to be a two way street I mean Daniel Espinosa has not been taken against his will into the studio no, system I know and, no that's you know, true you know been force fed a huge no, check but to, it's, it's to difficult but it's difficult to turn down that check I can imagine it's just from you know I don't blame people for doing it fair play you've got to make your meal ticket and yes all, every success to him you know he's gone on from making films he's now in Hollywood and he's making money great but more power to him he's not making terrible films but from someone who is a fan of a director's early work mm. to then see that director go and do just middle of the road dross like life but is, it is dross? frustrating this, this is where I think we're de departing from each other a tiny bit is that I get the mediocre thing and I get the okay thing dross though really that that you feel that maybe not, maybe not dross I just, I just what I'm trying to probably not articulate in that well is I just get upset at mediocre films yeah. and when they don't need to be mediocre Absolutely. when it's obvious everyone knows this is mediocre well, and that's what I get frustrated with so no dross is too strong I take that back, but everyone must know this is an average film they're sure, making. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Right? And it's like that thing, you know, to, to your point, I think that people often say where the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I think that when you come out of this and you feel like, you know, both of us to a slightly different degree, but both of us feel like fairly indifferent. And, in, you know, if you we come back on the show and talk about this in a month's time, 
you were mostly have forgotten this movie let's be yeah. honest and that like I think to, to that, I find that even more frustrating because at least with a bad film I remember it right exactly and, and we'll have some you'll have something to really get your teeth into yeah. with this you go like yeah like you've articulated pretty well you know this and this and this perfectly serviceable perfectly fine but two three four years down the line you don't want to say do you remember that perfectly fine film yeah, that and, I when saw, you, you and when you look back on when you look back on the director's early films and they're awesome and then you look at their later output and it's not as good that shouldn't be the way it works so we're ending up on so, more like more like lifeless yes life. lifeless yeah and and paul to sort of foreshadow something that we'll talk about later on in the very reductive binary system of rotten tomatoes where you say something is either fresh or rotten where would you come down on this thing if you had to go just fresh or rotten good or bad that's exactly why rotten tomatoes is terrible because well, yeah, it, it would is. just be that's, would that's, be that's what i'm saying but yeah where would you come down on this film though, if you had to go one way or the other meh <laughs> oh, oh, oh it hurts me in my soul I, I can't stand the, the sound or even seeing that typed as a review that yeah. people do that all the time now anyway um well something that definitely is not going to elicit the response meh is our next feature review and that is the greasy strangler paul please set this it's one a up greasy because... strangler directed by jim hoskin um and i think British director, right? Well yes, spoken. British director British who director. I'd seen a bit of his work on one of the horror anthologies that he worked on. I can't remember which ABCs one. ABCs of Death. ABCs of Death, yeah. Number two. Um and to say too much about this film will spoil it. So I I can't to to try and set it up, we will say that there is um some kind of serial killer going around. Um, he's greasy and he's strangling. He's greasy people. and strangling people. You've got I think is it a father and son or is it or they brothers? Right. It's a, fa son, a father yeah. and son who kind of fall in love with a woman who looks after them looks after them help me out on this one Pete well okay so um, because I've watched it slightly more recently in fact last night so there's a father and son and they do walking disco tours in which they introduce yes. groups of tourists <laughs> I guess to famous sites that they say are related to disco although it feels as if they're kind of making all of that up um, in their f the first tour that we see in the film there is a, a woman who was um, Kenny Powers uh, Mexican girlfriend in Eastbound and Down when they had the second series and went to Mexico that's where I know her from um, and a couple of others and they end up a couple of them don't last very long let's say and the female in the group ends up beginning a, a sort of love affair of sorts with the son and then the father tries to usurp his son and take her away uh, that's basically but all, all the, the while to, to the backdrop of uh, the, the greasy strangler a serial killer is, is plaguing the town right um, which may or may not be one of the people that we've already met up to this yes, point right? um and I, I can't get into any more of this review without saying uh, you realise this is exec produced by uh, your boy uh, Ben Wheatley yeah. and Elijah Wood yeah. which I think is important to mention because we'll get into our, our conversation in a second but this thing has got quite a bit of attention and has won even a couple of awards um, yeah. and did quite well at Sundance I think yeah I think it won Best Comedy at the Empire for and awards it, and it would be unfair to say that that's because of the people who are exec producing it but it isn't disconnected from that fact I would say no I would, I would, I would say. say not so um, Paul come at me what you like this uh, quite a bit I, think. I really like this I tell think it's, it's, me and everyone why it's deranged it's silly uh, it's creepy in places. It's uh, for me. It felt like it, for me. It felt like a film that I hadn't. It had the feel of a film that I haven't seen for a while. For me, it was it was a kind of a 
I wouldn't say perfect mix. It was kind of a mix between David Lynch and John Waters. Like that's mm. that's where it kind of sat for me. But it's um, but in that in that continuum, is it not sat? You know, a meter from John Waters and nine meters from David Lynch. That's yes. that's how I feel. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I'd, I'd say that's a fair comparison. But the Lynch the Lynch thing is still there, and I just think I, as you know, with some of the some of the absolute clag I've talked about on the show, <laughs> I um, like that word. I by enjoy. The way. <laughs> I enjoy my exploitation stuff. Yeah. Um, and well, I really like my exploitation films, and I just think this—it was nice to see uh, a very humorous take on exploitation. Um, and yeah, it's it's a very bizarre film, and it certainly isn't for everyone. Yeah, I thought of you the other day because uh, haven't Troma made a new Toxic Avenger yes, film? Yes, I, I, like, I believe I they have. So, make yeah. sure Paul knows about that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, get ready because this is where we're going to go in on this film because of the fact that. Um, I kind of loathed it. I kind okay. of loathed it, but but I'll try and articulate as best I can why that is and why I'm not just trying to be dismissive. You said just a moment ago that you hadn't seen a film like this for a while. I am not claiming really that I have either, but uh, going back perhaps seven, eight years, I was at a, a film festival and I saw a screening of Harmony Kareen's film, a film director that I do not like. Yeah. And it was called uh, Trash Humpers. Yeah. Trash Humpers was a sort of supposed found footage film about elderly people causing chaos, which seemed to delight in repetitious dialogue, check, the greasy <laughs> strangler, uh, in deliberately sort of, um, subversive is not the word, um, deliberately sort of offensive and grotesque imagery in the sort of John Waters tradition. But for example, in Trash Humpers, we have a scene where the characters put um, like Persil liquid, like washing up liquid okay. on pancakes and yeah. eat those. In this film, we have a scene where the lead character played by Clements and Clements or whatever that guy's called, a <laughs> uh, man in his seventies who looks like, God knows, like John Carpenter if he'd sort of been left out in the desert for about five years. <laughs> Um, yeah, he eats uh, watermelon or no grapefruit that's yeah. covered in grease. Yeah. So you've got that feel to it, where the director seems want to sort of push you to be repulsed by almost everything that you see. Having said that, there are some funny moments. There are some things that I found quite amusing, but I just got worn down because I felt like the film was trying so very hard so very hard to go like oh you you're gonna have to tell all your mates about how shocking and and sort of out there this film is and it, and it tired me out if i'm honest and i kind of got off board about how i can through. see i can see why i can see why it would do that to yourself obviously knowing the kind of films that you like um and yeah i think those those are all valid criticisms of it but if you love exploitation cinema as much as someone like myself does, I think there's a lot more there than for someone then, who doesn't. But then that's interesting um, to me then because... Because it is meant to be offensive. It, it is meant to do that. But that absolutely. is the whole point of exploitation as a genre. Absolutely, Paul. But so, like, I, I'm I'm not saying I'm not down with exploitation. There, There's like, you know, exploitation films that I really, I really like. But this corner of exploitation that is about seemingly... Um, uh, and again, maybe I'm projecting and maybe I'm way off base, but this kind of um, shooting downwards, 
I don't know that the very plummy, well-spoken British director of this film and his co-writer have much other than um, disdain for people who might actually live in the environments that they depict mm. in the Greasy Strangler. And I know that they do almost for a fact have a background in um, knowing their film history, yep. knowing the stuff that they're referencing, knowing John Waters' work probably inside yep. out. But I feel like I wanted this film to, to, it sounds ridiculous to say of an exploitation film, but I wanted it to have more to say and I felt like it didn't have a very big amount to say. And, and my actual question to you, and sorry, I, I went around the houses, was in the amount of sort of exploitation films, particularly you've watched recently, does this strike you as, it must strike you as sort of upper echelon in, in those films, right? I think, well, yeah, absolutely. I just think for me, and, and again, comedy is such a subjective thing, I found the whole film very, very funny. Yeah. Um, and that for me is what put it, put it a cut above the suckling for example mm. um you know to take a recent example of a film we've talked about so yeah certainly not for everyone i wouldn't expect everyone to like it and i certainly wouldn't you know i certainly wouldn't expect it to to review well everywhere but for me it, it worked very well and it's such a kind of razor's edge isn't it because i, I forget the name of the director but did you ever see that film the comedy you, with the guy sure. uh tim tim heidecker from tim and eric so the comedy was about like superly overt sort of hipsters who are unbearable and intolerable. And I thought it was fantastically well observed yeah. and was deliberately like distanced the audience and like a lot of the, the criticism I'd level yeah. of The Greasy Strangler to be fair. But then the same director made another film which is called Entertainment, which is about a touring stand-up comedian, which had a lot of the same traits and I loathed it. I couldn't yeah, stomach so it at so all. Difficult, yeah. So it's such a fine line and I think you go down one side or the other and you know, if that line's covered in grease it's easier to slip but down I think, you know, either I side I think it's nothing else it's, it's a film that you will watch and you will want to talk about and yeah. whether you like it or loathe it at least it's got something you know at least it's got there's something about it that makes you want to think that you, you won't forget having seen the greasy strangler and Harry I don't think yeah and I think I've still got time more time for this guy Jim Hoskins yeah. than I have Harmony Kareem because he can okay. go fuck himself yeah. so yeah <laughs> um, yeah but you're absolutely right Paul it's, it's a great conversation starter if nothing yeah. else or conversation no, finisher in, in the wrong company I'd say um, which brings us to the closing part of the show which is the credits uh, section and I'm going to say some words here that I'm going to struggle to I think to say on air have a go and these are words that I never ever thought would come out of my mouth and I'm aware that I've been overwhelmingly negative in this episode so apologies I will try and be more positive in the, in the, in the next episode but but listeners at home and people who know me very well are about to hear me say the words I would like to give credit to Brett Ratner Right, that's right for his awesome film not another Brett Ratner the, the director and producer and old Hollywood schmoozer ratty. old ratty what's old, he done what's old, he done for old B-rat <laughs> shall we say um, Brett Ratner has uh, quite rightfully I think said that uh, Rotten Tomatoes will probably be the death of film criticism yeah is he has he gone overboard there has he got carried away that Brett Ratner like he did when he made the last stand of the X-Men films uh, no I don't think he has I think we've talked about this briefly briefly off off mic and possibly briefly on mic in, in the episode um, Rotten Tomatoes is just rubbish it would it, yeah. would, it just it just everything I, I don't even like star ratings when when we used to, when I used to run the site as the, the film review site for independent films that kind of thing the first thing I said when we set it up was that we weren't going to have star ratings because they're so you just look at it and go well that was a three star review it's pretty reductive you don't even yeah. review it's pretty reductive you, so you to either... reduce it down further than that is 
we, we, yeah, and it's funny, this, because a couple of things. For those of you who aren't aware, which is virtually probably no one, but Rotten Tomatoes is a, a film review aggregator that rates everything either fresh, which they have decided based on sometimes reviews that don't have any star rating because it seems like the reviewer was being positive, or rotten, which means that the reviewer was being mainly negative or gave it below three stars, I guess, or below a certain 50%, let's say. Um, however, we say like, oh, this is a new sort of divisive way of film criticism in the internet age and stuff like that. Remember, you know, that Siskel and Ebert, for example, were well known for reviewing films as either thumbs up or thumbs yeah. down. So that, that was kind of the forerunner to Rotten Tomatoes anyway. But now you see people will reel off Rotten Tomatoes scores as if that's an accurate reflection of the quality of a film. So someone will say, oh, you know, but it's got a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, that doesn't mean that it's sort of seven out of 10 good. No. That means that 70% of the reviews there are not negative. Or which might is a very have different a thing. positive word in them. Or, you know, it's just... Right, Bizarre. and where do you come down? Like, like you said, Paul, about setting up the site and about wanting to have that nuance of like the review without the star rating. If you've that's why I enjoy this podcast so much is because we can do uh, we can do reviews without having to have a star rating at the end of it because we talk about the films. And yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, and well, like the review of Life today, for example, if we had to say, is this fresh or is it rotten? Well, I don't know. In some ways, it's rotten. It's neither. It literally that is a film that but it's would right be there. for me. That is a film that would be neither. It's just. A film that exists that right. has some things, so, okay things about so it, some, some bad things about some it. Some critics are going to say that it's a bit, um, you know, well worn and, and not particularly original, so it's going to end up being rotten. Some are going to say that it I mean, does I saw, things I saw a four-star review for that just today, which baffled me. But but it's going to end up being misleading either way. What you yeah. get as the result. So if Rotten Tomatoes is the problem, what is the solution? I mean, where are the good aggregators? What are the ones that you trust, or where do you look when just, you're trying to get a balanced view on that? I, I read the. I actually read the text in a review, which is a mistake if you read Peter Bradshaw's reviews, because Peter, if you're listening, which you unlikely are to be, I think you've got a lot of good things to say about films. But stop just using the synopsis for most of your review. Well, that's a, but that's a read problem, the reviews yeah. and bin off star ratings full stop. Just that's that's where I'd go with it. And no, have no aggregators. Just have a critic that you fall in line with and an opinion you respect and probably have one that you don't and then make your own mind up from those two reviews and see where you think then. Or watch the film and read the review afterwards. There's another way to go. Well, in our, you know, the, the British film critics as, as far as that goes I mean we have a Sight and Sound magazine where there's no star rating but then we have something like Total Film or Empire where there is a star rating yeah. and those are obviously online as well as, as in print um, and aside from that then we have things that we've talked about like Letterboxd where users can either give star ratings or not you give, have star to give ratings. a star rating don't you? no you can just say you've watched oh, stuff okay. or you can just write a review so they've left it open enough where if you want to do it you I didn't can. realize that I've star rated everything I've put on there so I'm oh, well, I have as well take those off I think I'm but, not as yeah. anti I'm not as anti star ratings but I can totally see the argument for not having them and, yeah. and I do appreciate like a yeah like a sight and sound review where you don't go into it with the preconception that this is yeah. whatever and then you look at a magazine like little white lies they've actually broken down their star ratings whatever they they give them I don't know mm. if it's stars into I think three different categories it's like you know anticipation and then the actual review score and then the in retrospect score which is another way to you know skin a cat I think a, a good way to do it would be um, and go into the world of video games briefly there's a, a video games website called Eurogamer and although I don't always agree with their reviews of games they have a review and they either have I think there is possibly an avoid so it's right at the bottom 
or recommended or essential mm. and a lot of things you find is just a review and that f forces you to read the review mm. which I really like like I don't know you don't have to agree with the reviews but if you're gonna read if you're gonna if you're actually gonna take the time to be interested in film criticism then read what's written don't just look at the star yeah, but Paul you've you've missed one thing here what are they going to do with movie promotional movie posters if there are no more star ratings? It's just going to have to be a paragraph of dense text well, that's true, yeah. with, with sort yeah. of a nuanced breakdown yeah. of the film. So yeah, everybody... Because you notice these days, not even these days, but for, for the longest time, you can pull a star rating from any way you want because the stars look the yeah. same. Yeah. So you put... Like I saw one today and it was like a five star from Metro newspaper. And yeah. it's like, well, what does that really matter for? Yeah. But on the poster, that looks yeah. great. It's yeah. a five star review. Brilliant. It's like you can get the uh, the awards. Well, magazine has given you five stars. We well, you know like the laurels from a, an award ceremony. Yeah. And you think like, oh, that looks really impressive. And then you look at it and it's like the Poughkeepsie, you know, local film festival, you know, whatever, yeah. tiny, tiny little thing. So, yeah. Um, the how can we roll out of this thing with some kind of summation of it? I mean, I guess... I don't know. It's, I, I suppose it's 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 not going to change. Rotten Tomatoes is, is obviously here to stay. But I just think... I just encourage people just to... just to, Star ratings are obviously here to stay as well. I just encourage people to, to read the reviews and don't look at Rotten Tomatoes as a way to judge a film. Um, well, funnily enough, my, linking two things together here. Um, you know, there used to be a Rotten Tomatoes review show that was on YouTube and on their website and they had two hosts, a male and a female host, and they would review films. It was actually quite good. And the male host of that was David Ehrlich, who now is the uh, film editor for IndieWire and okay. he's one of the best contributors to Letterboxd. So go read his reviews, yeah. stay away from that website and yeah. transition with David Ehrlich over to the, the side of sort of enlightenment where yeah. you actually, yeah, as Paul's been saying, you read what someone has to say yeah. rather than just say, oh, is it good or shit? Yeah. Oh, and sorry, we've got to get this in here. <laughs> I've heard this week, and I don't know if you picked up on this, Netflix are talking about getting rid of star ratings in place of an either thumbs up or thumbs down uh, oh. way of basically Rotten Tomatoesing the fuck yeah. out of their website as well which would be dreadful uh, for that whole algorithm because yeah. that's a whole different conversation for another time but yeah, yeah uh, get back at us if you've got strong view, uh, views about aggregators give us a star rating for this show or a or thumbs up a or a thumbs or fresh. down <laughs> yeah. or just write like a really lengthy tract about we'll how read that. Or bad this we'll ignore was. whether you give us Rotten or Fresh but yeah. we'll read give a lengthy a review you yeah. give us a star rating yeah. <laughs> although do on iTunes and write a review um Yes, Paul, let's bring this thing into port. Uh, so my film quote last week, I believe, was Bar Weep Gronar Weep Ninibaum, which is the universal greeting from Transformers the Animated Movie. Yes, I don't even know if we've got one for today, though, have it's we? It's your turn, so... Oh, shit. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to have to think of something on the spot. Just t tell the people where they can contact strangers and I'll think So while Pete's thinking of a, of a film quote for, for next week, you can find us on at uh, Strangers Cinema on Twitter, uh, Strangers in the Cinema on Instagram and Facebook. And if you do want to drop us an email, it's strangersinacinema at gmail.com. Um, and I'm pretty convinced Pete has got one now. Yes. And uh, to close out this episode, I'm going to really bring the mood up. So get at us if you know where this is from. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Pete, and goodbye from him, Paul. And she's not going to come.